Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, do you trust wine descriptions to buy wine? Rick, have you listened to our show? Yeah, I think we're pretty adorable. Uh, so so that, that's, that's a no to the wine descriptions. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay. Well, today we have further proof, as if it's needed, just how useless those descriptions are. Oh, good. And we'll be citing some of the top critics and magazines in the country. I think we better call a lawyer. Huh? We don't have any lawyers. <laughs> Nobody – I, I tried. They, nobody would take us. We, 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 we don't need no stinking lawyers in this one though. You know why? Why? We have a lady truth on our side. Anthony, do you have a lawyer? Yeah, you know anybody, Anthony? <laughs> All right. Also today, listeners ask about headaches, letting wine breathe, and food pairings for port star wines. Okay. Well, you know, we talked about port star wines just the other week. Yes, we did. Yeah, we like and you're them. a constant headache. So this is a good the, this is a good set yes, of topics. And, and here. I've been having uh, trouble breathing, so we're perfect. <laughs> All right. And we are also gonna make fun of some quote unquote serious wine descriptions as we go. We'll offer a couple we like uh, a couple that we do like. Yeah. In yeah. Stu- stuff we love. And, and guess what else we're going to be doing? I'll bet we make fun of wine snobs. Indeed we do. Excellent. Uh, and we are still on Capital Public Radio. Those yes. generous folks on their, cap- on their podcast lineup. On their lineup. recommended podcast lineup one, with it, the big names in NPR. We are in one of their studios now. They are kind, kind folks. We are also on Napa Broadcasting. A network comes at Napa Valley College. Bob. Yes. Um, educated, academic. I, I The mind boggles. We Our credentials are are. Endless, <laughs> as long as you don't listen. All right. And don't forget, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is Rick and Paul Wine. You can go there and ask us a question anytime. Any old time. And we're available on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where all the best podcasts are found. All right. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to compare some descriptions of the same wine from some of the best-known wine magazines and independent critics. Paul, how do you think they'll you think they'll compare? So, Rick, you and I have talked about this before. I'm willing to bet that if you read people these descriptions, they wouldn't even guess that it was the same wine. I think you are absolutely correct. So let's see if that's true. Let's see if they're correct. All right. So because uh, if if they were if wine descriptions really were useful, you would be able to <laughs> wait. 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 I'm sorry. I have to I have to get a grip on myself here. You, <laughs> you would be me. able to read the description and say, "Oh yeah, that guy, that guy, that guy." They all say pretty much the same thing. Sounds like they're all tasting the same wine. Well, but, but no. no, no, and they're they're. I mean. Most of these sort of magazine descriptions, you know, the the, the glossy magazine descriptions that not too many people try to write, are you know they're they're te- they're useless for lots of reasons. They pick out odd flares. We we have one critic in yes. particular we make fun of constantly because this was not person can never even say apple. Well, we have this wonderful we have this wonderful list of terms we have found right. in wine writing of that. That don't exist. Right. But they've used them as descriptors. Right. Yeah. Right. But it, even more to the point, just simply picking out flavors is no way to describe the experience of a wine. Right. It, it's, you know, there's so many other things. And, and we don't do that with food. We don't say, you know, well, how is the chicken? Well, I got a note of oregano and some parsley and thyme in the finish of the chicken. <laughs> it's, you know. Was it uh, good? Yes. Yeah, right. You say it was juicy. It was delicious. Okay. And, and then, the, of course, the worst part is – now, I have to admit, if if my job were to write 250 wine descriptions a week, I would quit my job. <laughs> well, there's that. Because that's an awful job. It, it is hard. But it doesn't mean – doesn't excuse, it may explain it, but it doesn't excuse it. OK. Fair so, enough. Speaking of inexcusable – Well said. Uh, there are some descriptions of very popular, very expensive wines. All of these wines that we're going to be quoting for you approach uh, are, are over $200. 
All names have been removed so we don't get sued. Okay. Anthony, just keep your guy on hold. I will also argue in this case in particular, the super Tus- – I mean the wines are not um, – their wines are not at fault. It's the writing. All right. So the first one is a super Tuscan. That's a, a – you know, could be a Bordeaux blend, you know, Cabernet or – Yeah, but mainly it will it'll have some Sangiovese and, and Bordelais varieties. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're here's – You're going to start? I'll start. Okay. I'll, this is from a major critic. A wine of extreme complexity and precision. It offers monumental depth with profound layers of black food, coffee, licorice, and baking chocolate. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of rush through some of these parts yeah. because we want to show you the parts that don't really don't that don't matter. And all those layers, uh, it's important richness, concentration, and textural fiber, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. It wraps it thickly over the pa- palate, imparting ways of dark sweet fruit that lingers for many long minutes. Ready by twenty twenty one. Okay. Mine says, astoundingly vibrant and lively, and a full garnet in the glass. Okay, so completely different in the first sentence. A wealth of intense cherries, a wealth of intense cherries, mulberries, and fresh plums with hints of dark cocoa and cedar. So at least the cocoa is the same in both. The well, pal- baking chocolate and dark cocoa, so uh, at least they're in the ballpark. They're in the we'll ballpark. give them that. So we got one. The palate is what nine descriptors already. <laughs> the palate is framed in long regal tannins that bring focus to the bright red fruit and red cherries and dark plums. Extremely balanced, best from twenty twenty five. All right, so so far we've got a wine that's dark and rich, or one that's lively and red. Yes, <laughs> we've got one that is ready in twenty twenty one, and one that's red in twenty twenty five. Well, no, ready by twenty twenty one or best from twenty twenty five. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we've got you know a big difference there. Okay. Um, and of all those flavors, only one was close. Yes. Um, and and remember, this one was a full garnet, whatever that was in the glass. A full garnet. That's the is that color. like a full Monty? Yes, exactly right. That means garnet with no clothes on. <laughs> all right. So wine. Here we go again. There's the okay. third one. This is from a major magazine. Had a great sense. You'll love this first sentence. It has a great sense of the classics without denying the past. A fully fledged modern <laughs> wine. Oh, dear Lord, I have no clue what that means. Okay. okay. Now, crimson and dense in the color. That's crimson, not crimson, garnet. Not garnet. It's full, full of restrained, brambly, fresh fruit, clove, nutmeg, and a salty butterness, whatever that is, combined with velvety masked tannins on the palate. Perfect phenolic ripeness and delicious now. This will last for decades. All right. So now we've got two different wow. colors. We've got a whole bunch of new new descriptive phrases. No no repeats from the no first re- two. No repeats. No cocoa in this one either. And it's ready to drink. Ready to drink. Okay. Okay. Last one. All right. Wine Critic. It's saturated purple color. Okay. So here we go. Now we're off to purple. First so, it was crimson. One was garnet. And one had no color. Now it's purple. These people can't even agree on the color. By a deep, beautifully concentrated, yet primordial effort that offers serious intensity in its cassis, haven't heard that before, graphite, haven't heard that before, bay leaf, hadn't heard that before, forest floor, haven't heard that before, spring flower aromas and flavors. So every single one of those descriptors. Totally new. Totally new. So now we're up to about 20 descriptors and only two of them are match. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Great, great finish. This is a tour de force in a red wine that needs six to eight years of bottle age. Right. So- Guy number three said, ready to go, and this one says, not for another six to eight years. Yeah, and one guy says four years, one guy says two years. So who do you believe here? I Uh, believe you, Rick. Well, as well you should. Okay. Because I think they're fools, Paul, fools. (laughs) All right. They can't even agree on the color. All right, here's another one. Got another one. This is an iconic Napa Red blend. 
Good. Many people would know if I sold it, but it's not the wine's fault, so we're not bringing it up. This is from a wine critic. This is there is subtlety and brightness to this one. Black currants, fresh mint, sage undertones, linear and very racy with fantastic blackberries, crushed stones, and lead pencil. Try in 2022. Okay, I'm sorry, lead pencil. The hell does that mean? Maybe it meant pencil lead. Well, but of course, it's not lead. It's graphite. And of course, graphite has no smell. Okay. Just, I'll just, just go on. Yeah. yeah so the yeah, next guy yeah. comes up with pencil shavings, which is in fact cedar. Yes. Right? Because right. pencils so are the, made right. out of cedar. So that isn't actually the same thing. It's not the pencil no, lead. No, no. This, this is the other part of the pencil. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're conclusive. They're con- okay. Red currant and red plum are complemented by hints of crushed rock and cocoa. Oh, oh, dear God, Paul. And persistent acidity, maintaining balance. Now, both of them got crushed rock. That's what I'm saying. Both of them got crushed (laughs) rock. Because crushed rock is so different than a rock that's not crushed. Well, it's much – it's depressed. Oh, oh, it's a sad rock. It's a sad rock. Yes. So it's tears. You're tasting tears. And and when is it ready, Paul? Uh, uh, 2025 to 2035. Not 2022. No. All right. Well, I got one. one. Keep going. Now, remember, the first one was subtlety and brightness. Yes. The third one is rich and plush from this wine critic. Rich and plus. It opens with stunning black and, and red plums, cassis, and mulberry scents with compelling watts of lilac. Here we go again. Pencil shavings. Black olives and tilled soil plus a hint of Bailey's. Drink now or age for decades. Okay, so pe- the pencil came in t- for two of the three. Pencil shaving. So uh, now we got we didn't see any black olives. And this guy doesn't notice rocks. He thinks it smells like tilled soil. Right. Tilled and, soil. Which is nothing like a crushed rock or even a whole rock. Or a regular soil. Yeah. This soil's been tilled. tilled. It's tilled. Well, you know what tilled soil is? It's it's um, it's – it's ready to burst with flavors in the glass. <laughs> Tilled soil. And, and remember, and this one is rich and plush, where the first one said there was subtlety and brightness to it. Yes. Right? Okay. Uh, okay. And then we have one more wine. Okay. You're going to start? Uh, yes. This is okay. a big Napa cap uh, okay. from an iconic vineyard that many people would know. Big name critic says black currants and blackberries with lavender and rosemary really pop out of the glass full of dark, rich fruit. Full body, tight and polished tannins, and a long, flavorful finish shows tension and focus with a precise finish from organically grown grapes. From or an, an organically farmed site in the heart of the Appalachians. Wait, wait. They agree on the they grapes agree are that organic. The grapes are organic. Yeah. Uh, probably is written on the side of the it label. Probably so, is. You know, yeah. They can't get that wrong. Immaculately structured, lithe body, full of fresh acidity. Which is a little the different than the dark. The menthol is here. We haven't had any menthol. Subtle, heightened by delicate, silky layers of orange peel, red currant, and cinnamon. Not a single repeat of fruit character. So this is nothing like the previous. Nothing. I mean, they could be completely different. Well, they different. both said organic. Yes. Other than that, one's dark and rich. One's light and fresh. One is where it got orange peel Blackberries and Blackberries and lavender, and the other one's got orange peel and red currant. Is, they do agree it's organic. That's something. They so, agree. It's, it's, yes. So, so what did we learn, Paul? I don't think you can trust these guys. I don't know. How, how, and so how does somebody choose a wine? Um, I'm thinking just go to Yelp. Yep. yep, yep. <laughs> I, I you get know, you know no stars to these guys. They ought to send us a bottle. We'll taste it and tell them if it's good or not. And whatever you say, I'm going to disagree with. Well, but the good news is think of all the free wine. Uh, I know. Okay. Well, feel like – actually, the, the, if, there is, if there is a way – 
Yeah, I mean, you know, that's it's the difficult part. We, you know, we we talk about this all the time. So, how does somebody really choose, right? You know, we stand in that giant wall of wine in a supermarket or a wine store. How do you know? And the answer is, well, you supermarket don't. is difficult, but at least start asking questions. Talk well, to them. and if there's somebody who knows about wine in the shop, yeah, ideally an employee, um, and you can build a relationship with somebody who owns a wine shop, that will make your exploration of the world of wine a whole lot easier and a whole lot more fun. Yeah, and unfortunately, what they're going to have on those shelves on the wine shop often is, is descriptions that are just like this. But there's only going to be one, so which one of these guys are they going to choose? <laughs> well, whichever one sounds the best. Yeah. Well, speaking of sounding the best. <laughs> oh, that, that's, nice segue. That's us, <laughs> which is why people ask us questions. Yeah. So we're going to answer a few. Yeah, that was a pretty pretty strange segue. Wasn't it? <laughs> all right. So and don't forget, you can ask us a question on all kinds of places on our social, which is Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Rick and Paul Wine or Rick and Paul Wine dot com, our website. And our first one is from Nadine in Davis. Mm-hmm. Cool. I have to confess, Nadine. Uh, I work with Nadine. Oh, good. But she asked me this question. I okay. said we could use it on the podcast. Excellent. And it's a simple one. She says some reds give me headaches and some don't. And I don't think I've gotten headaches from whites. What's going on? And Alcohol. I, yes. Well, and, and and there's another thing at work too. Yes, which so, is when you're drinking red wine, you have a tendency to drink more than when you're drinking white wine. Well, well there's another thing going on. Well, you think so, but it's mainly alcohol and it's, how much you drink. Most headaches come from alcohol, but there's another thing that people can't have allergies to, which is the, the histamines in that comes out of the wood. And in skins. And so that yeah. is the thing. And you know, I'm Please just, note that Rick is not a doctor. He yes. does not play one on the radio. And but, we are not suggesting that you take antihistamines before you drink no, red wine. Well, especially not a daytime antihistamine, which wouldn't put you to sleep. <laughs> I would never suggest that. Um, now, it is a thing. And it's uh, – you know, I've, I've read enough studies of – you know, from, from these – all of them, all my scientific journals. We talk about there's like, there's like 200 compounds just, in just wines. To be, just to be clear, I've been to Rick's house. There is not a scientific journal to be seen. Wait a so, Entertainment Weekly is not a scientific <laughs> journal? You're kidding no. me. Oh, darn. <laughs> uh, so, it, it, but it, I, you know, truly there are like – 200 compounds that you can have allergies to in, right. in wines. And there right. are more in reds because reds are more complex. Yeah. Having said all that, it's often just the alcohol. And and red wines tend to be riper than white wines and, and tend alcohol. to be high, higher alcohols. Yeah. And when you're eating a lasagna, you have a tendency to probably maybe drink a little more wine than if you're drinking – having a salad with a nice little white wine. It's not the lasagna's fault. Anthony's nodding. I'm just so I'm just, it's two against one. Right? I don't. I don't want us ragging on lasagna. I happen to like lasagna. Uh, lasagna is great. I'm not That's making it. it is, lasagna. Lasagna. Is a, you are not. You are not can, but, any culpability but, here whatsoever. But lasagna is an enabler, right? Oh, you know I've heard that about. Lasagna. <laughs> yeah. Our next one is from Howie in Santa Rosa. <laughs> he says we were tasting it. Winery name removed so we don't get sued. And they were talking about using. Uh, uh, excuse me here. It's open, open top, top fermenters. fermenters. I forgot. I lost my place here. Yeah. And uh, like we're supposed to be swoon when they said that. What does that mean? And are they any better than uh, other fermenters? Um, no. So, 
<laughs> I'll tell you what they say, and then and then the real answer is what Paul just gave you. <laughs> the the argument for open top fermenters is that they allow a little more oxygen transfer, so that and as the wine's fermenting, this remember this is when the yeast are eating the sugar and it's creating all this sort of stuff. That there's there's just more development that can go on. The yeast one, the yeast are more less likely to get a stuck fermentation, so there is that. Um, it is another way the wine cools, but they cool fermenters fine, so yeah, it's they not, do. not a thing. Does it really mean much? Not really. No. no. And bear in mind that all that oxygen has to fight through a whole bunch of carbon dioxide that's being it's generated coming out by of the, the fermentation. Tank, right? And, so and uh, developing a very thick cap anyway. Yep. That's so, yep. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, yeah. So it's um, – but it is a what, thing – What I would suggest that how we do the next time they mention open top fermenters is uh, tell them that if they pay a little more – the company will put a top on those fermenters. Yes, tell them, tell them that you, you've got some very large pots that you can probably <laughs> get with those pots. Uh, right. uh, f- funny quick story about open top fermenters. You know what? So, what wine is doing is it's the yeast are eating sugar, they're converting it to alcohol, they're giving off heat, giving off, giving off CO2, carbon yes. dioxide. Pretty, pretty deadly stuff. Back in the day, when they were making wine in, oh, let's call them open-top fermenters, <laughs> very, very large vats of some sort, yeah. outside because they needed them to cool because they knew they needed them to cool. These large uh, wafts, of, wafts of CO2 floating up, birds flying over. Uh, it's a recipe for disaster. And there goes the bird right into your tank and right uh, into yes. your wine, yes. which is why uh, when they have that wine, it's a little bit of like drinking crow, I suppose. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, Really. Uh, okay. It's time for something it's else. It's time for something we do love. Time okay. for some oh, stuff cool. we love. Good. I love you so. All right. So we've been making fun of descriptions, and I think rightly so, don't you, Paul? Always. Yes. It's but what we, we do best. It's, yeah. yeah if, we, if we do anything we are, well. We make fun. Yeah. Yes. We but, pick, pick, pick. But this time we're going to talk about some people who've given it a good shot and we think deserve some credit for yes. pretty much getting it right. Yes, and we're we're actually they get a shout out to us for for really for for making kind of see the bottle of wine or seeing the wine that, that it does help you experience the wine. So what it might be like. this this one comes from Dwight Furrow at Edible Arts and he's a guy who writes about the philosophy of taste and and the culture of wine. And I just wish there were more writers who would write like this. This is about a Zweigelt, which is a, a wine a grape grown in Austria. And, and Paul does not need to describe it to you because Dwight's about to. I am going to. As transparent as a freshly wiped pane of glass, yet the funk gives it a quirky dimension. Great quality for the price. Focused aromas of black cherry, cranberry, and paprika swathed in eau de salami make a very intriguing nose. In the mouth, it's on the light side of medium-bodied and refreshingly crisp after a juicy introduction. It has a soft, calm mid-palate, but spicy, peppery notes punctuate a clean, limpid seam of fresh spring water on the long, gentle finish. The tannins are shy. The acidity bright, but never sour. This is where cheerful and trippy meet. Pair with some good vibrations by the Beach Boys. Okay, I love all of this except that there's a one tiny overwrite, which you know me. I don't really. I I don't think he needs the limpid, clean limpid seam because the he's got the uh, fresh spring water right there. But that's I'm picking it nits because what this does is paint a nice picture. You know, it's fun, it's, it's fresh, it's yeah, lively. He, he clearly a, loves the wine, you, and he gives you an idea of what you should be thinking about when you're drinking it. Right, you get a sense of what it is: bright fruit, bright spices, refreshing. You know, it's uh, and and fun. Tr- Cheerful and trippy. 
cheerful, fun. Yeah, yep, yep. Absolutely. Yep. So this is a little different, um, but this is from Karen McNeil. Mm-hmm. And she's <laughs> writing about ferment, one of Paul's favorite grapes. It is. Ferment, Hungary's famous grape, makes the best rye white wine you may not have had enough of or even tried. It's got weight without heaviness and crispness without tartness. Plus, it bursts with vibrant notes of pepperiness and saltiness. If you're a good cook, this should be your house wine because it goes with scores of food, everything from Italian to Asian dishes. This is a bone-dry ferment, and it was one of the first dry ferments in Hungary. I took the name out. Okay. It's clean. It's real simple, right to the point. Yep. And I'm, I'm not sold on saltiness, but okay. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, she likes yeah. it. And you, she gives you an idea what to, what what to do with it, and how to have fun with it. And and I, I, it is a, it's a nice it's a nice point that I happen to agree. By the way, on that ferment is a really good wine to have in the house because it does go yep. with so many foods. Yep. Okay. Well. Uh, cool. Now, now that we've reestablished uh, a, a, an upbeat spirit. Yes, we are. We're beating up. We are going to upbeat some <laughs> some questions right here. If you'd like to ask us a question, once again, on go to any of our social at Rick and Paul Wine. Uh, this is from Emma in Folsom. She says, I really like ports, and a lot of the wineries in the foothills make some delicious ones, but my boyfriend is not a fan. Mm-hmm. Before I leave him and just stay with the ports, <laughs> can you suggest any food pairings that might make him more willing to drink them with me? Well, here is where, Rick, we can kill two birds with one open-top fermenter, <laughs> <laughs> which is you have – on numerous occasions, explained how you think that the combination of chocolate and dry red wine is not a great combination. I do think it is not a great combination. However, these sweet, these ports are a really great combination with chocolate. And Emma, if your boyfriend likes chocolate, try serving him some chocolate with one of these wines and see if he doesn't like it a little more. And if he doesn't like chocolate, I have two words for you. Blue cheese. Okay. I like blue cheese and port. Yeah. Blue cheese is a great yeah. blue cheese is a great pairing cheese yeah, it anyway, is. you know. But it it's is. really good with reds and, and that's another yeah. really fun combination of the tartness and spiciness yeah. of the blue cheese and the sweetness yeah. of a port. But anything that's big, rich, powerful yep. and either quite salty or quite quite sweet will go with those ports. And if he doesn't like that, Emma, I think you, I think you I think should be looking for Then go with your else. first choice. Go with, yeah. your, go with the port. Yep. Yep. Leave the boyfriend behind. Yes. I'll bet you he'll like one of those two for sure. All right. And this one is from Rubio in Pleasanton. Uh-huh. Do I really have to let wines breathe? If so, how long should I open the bottle before I pour it? What a great question because, of course, this is one of those questions that's so easy to ask and impossible to answer. <laughs> yes. Because it depends on how old the wine is. Um, but if it really is just a question of letting the wine breathe, most wines today um, will change as they age in the glass. And and it's probably the easiest place to let a wine breathe, Rubio, is in the glass. Pour yeah, it in the glass. Yeah, the bottle not going to help much because that's a very small opening. That's right. Not that much. Now, if you really want to get some air into the wine, if you really think the wine needs air and – just to get kind of technical here, the the biggest reason for that is it might have a little too much sulfur in it, so it may smell just a little slightly rotten eggy. It's called reduction, and and giving that wine a bunch of air will let that blow off. But if you really want to aerate wine, pour it into a glass and swirl it around. It's a much better way to aerate the wine than just pulling the cork. Although we did have a question, uh, it was a couple months back now about uh, the uh, hyper decanting. Hyper decanting. Yeah, that was pouring it into a blender. Right. 
Yeah. Well, you or can, you can always do that. You you can pour. But I mean, if you want to let need to. if you want to let the wine breathe, you can pour it into a decanter, and a decanter doesn't have to be something complicated. For you, you know, I still up at we have a little cabin, and up at the cabin, I use an old milk bottle as a decanter. Um, so, but just pour it in there, pour it back in the bottle, or leave it in the milk bottle. But uh, that'll give it some air. But you ultimately really have to sort of experiment with each wine, well, Rubio, to find out right. which one is best. Right. First thing is pour yourself a small taste. If it tastes fine, don't worry about it. Yeah. 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 And you know, it's and wine. Once it's been, you know, if, if it's uh, like Paul and you, and you drink a bottle of wine over a, a couple of hours, or me, yeah, a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes. Uh, but over time, <laughs> it um, you know the oxygen and the wine is going to settle and it's going to sort of change and slightly evolve, and that's always a nice thing. Yeah. Um, but if but it's not required, especially if you taste it and it seems fine. Um, and the other thing too is on older wines, which is lots of folks feel that they're they're, they're supposed to decant the older wines. You do, but not for that reason. You do uh, pour them in a decanter, you get the sentiment out. Right. What, what's going to happen with older wines? You want to drink them right away. Because they're actually – a lot of them, they're going to sort of fall apart on Sometimes. you. Because, yeah, and and we should point out, Rubio, this is only big red wines. Right. You right. usually don't do this with white wines at all. Right. And you certainly don't do it with bubbly. No, you don't need to. It's decanting itself as it speaks. Right there as it bubbles. Right. Indeed. Yep. And you don't need to swirl it for that very reason too. And you know what else you don't need to swirl? Us. Us. Because <laughs> we are bubbly on our own. So that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our bubbly producer is Anthony Van Hook. Thank you, Anthony. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast lineup. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotter, and Stitchify. Stitchify. Spotter and Stitchify. <laughs> Those plus Spotify and Stitcher, too. Anthony, we still need that attorney. What was yes. his name? <laughs> and, and you can ask us a question on any of our social at Rick and Paul Wine. If you learned anything today, we hope it's don't waste your time with most wine descriptions, no matter how expensive the wine. Or the magazine. True. Better talk with someone, ask some questions. You can always ask us. And you know what? Just send us a bottle, and we'll tell you if it's any good. I'm Rick Cushman. <laughs> and I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines are the ones you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Thank you.